0: Philanthropy is changing. So is business. For a growing number of companies and executives, it's not just about getting rich. It's about making an impact. A new generation of business leaders are using leverage to transform how they give back. Welcome to Giving, the show where we explore this new world of impact. I'm your host, Alex Godin. Today, I'm honored to be here with Thomas McQuillan. Thomas is the Vice President of Strategy, Culture, and Sustainability at Baldor Specialty Foods in Hunts Point, one of the largest produce distributors in the United States. At Baldor, Thomas is leading the charge for a revolution in produce. He's behind a monumental effort to eliminate food waste and make the world a better place. Thomas. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Alex, for having me. Glad to be here.
0: I'd love to dig into what Baldor is in a moment. But first, uh, from what I understand, you worked at a farm stand growing up. And that sort of put you in the direction you're you're on today. What was that like?
1: Yeah, it's so interesting you mentioned that. it's uh, That's a long time ago, like 40 years ago. I actually grew up in Rockland County, just uh, about 18 miles north of New York City. Um, it's hard to imagine a farm... Uh, being there, but that was that was the case. Um, and on that farm, I had the opportunity at a very young age to pick beans in the farm. I And I lasted exactly one day. I picked two bushels of the beans in the course of the day. The farmer paid me $2 a bushel. And I learned very early on how difficult farming was, how difficult a job this would be. And it was something that I decided at that moment I wanted to be involved in, but I didn't want to be in the fields picking those beans. So I have the utmost respect for farmers and the energy that it takes to grow our food supply uh, in the United States and around the world.
0: Yeah. And so when you talk about the food supply of the United States and around the world, where does Baldor fit into that equation?
1: So we see ourselves uh, as the two in the farm to fork equation, that farm to fork equation meaning... You know, we have these beautiful food products that are grown around our, around the world. How do they get onto that plate in that restaurant or on that plate in your home? Um, the logistics around uh, getting those moving those food products around to get it to the end user is very, very complicated. Um, and that's what we do. We are only the two. I say only. It's very complicated. But that's what that's what we are. So our goal is to link the farmer to the chef and we do that um, in the most efficient uh, way possible. Um, and so in, in a way, we're constantly looking for ways to be more sustainable in the way we uh, move that food around. Uh, so that's been, a, that's been a big focus of our company in the last few years.
0: And so w- what does sustainability mean for Baldor?
1: So for Baldor, there's, there's a few things uh, on the, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is local. Um, We have a commitment to the local farmer in in our region. Our region is is large. We ship from Portland, Maine, uh, to restaurants in Portland, Maine, all the way down to Richmond, Virginia, and all points in between. Um, We have three major uh, hubs, one in Boston, one in DC, and and the headquarters in New York City. Uh, And when we think about the delivery, that delivery region, we also want to backhaul whenever possible from farms when it's appropriate. that allows the farmer to stay on the farm. It allows the chef to stay in in the restaurant and do what they do best and allows us to manage all those logistics. Um, Helping the farmer farm and not be a marketer, a merchandiser, a transportation company, I believe allows them to be much more efficient and hopefully effective and profitable uh, by allowing us to handle the part of the business that we're best at handling.
0: Yeah, and it's it's not easy in the Northeast. We were talking before we started recording about the sheer volume of farms in the Northeast and sort of the the small scale of these operations. How many? Do you know how many farms you guys work with in in the Northeast?
1: So we work with about a hundred farms in the Northeast, um, uh, maybe a little bit more than that. And one of the and so you you mentioned the scale piece. Yeah, the scale is, is an issue. You know, if, if there are a lot of small farms. In the Northeast, that uh, you know, as they grow and 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 scale, they hopefully can become a partner of Baldor's as long as they meet a number of criteria. Uh, to to do that, food safety being number one, and uh, and quality product, of course. But the you know, oftentimes they're very small farms without enough product for us to uh, have them included in our um, uh, supply chain. But the the goal would be that you know more and more farmers uh join that um join Baldor and become part of our uh offerings we call it the local pledge the local pledge is that commitment to the local farmer we actually ask our customers to take the pledge which basically means that if there's a food product available from a local farm and they go on our website or call in to place an order for a particular produce item if that produce item is available from a local farmer, and it's not 10% more in price from our other farm partners, that may be much further away, then we will substitute that product um, from the local farm. And that has allowed us to increase substantially the amount of product we buy from local farms. And I believe, and we believe at Baldor that uh, that will allow those local farms to grow with confidence to expand their operations and supply more food.
0: Yeah, and has a pretty significant environmental impact when you think about the amount of fuel it takes to get a bell pepper from Holland to New York. Like it's pretty incredible the work that you're doing.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Especially if you consider that our trucks are out delivering to restaurants, you know, a hundred miles from here. And invariably there are farms that are looking to bring their products to an urban environment like New York or Boston or DC. And if we can provide the backhaul service, imagine them not having that capital expense of having to invest in a truck. And then pay an individual to bring that product in, navigate their way into these urban environments, you know, provide the, um, you know, the all of that infrastructure to eliminate that allows them, I think, to focus on what they're good at, which is farming. So that's the first piece of our sustainability plan. The second would be the way we manage all of our food, uh, all of our food assets under control that are under the control of Baldor. That includes all of the produce and specialty food items that we distribute. Uh, It also includes uh, an operation that we own called Baldor Fresh Cuts, which processes about a million two hundred thousand pounds of produce a week. So we're converting a carrot into a carrot stick, making a mirepoix, um, retail meal kits, which include a number of vegetables. And so as we process these vegetables and fruit here at Baldor and distribute those out to our customers, we also generate some extra food. The extra food might look like a carrot peel or the of a celery or the outer remain leaves. And what we've been doing over the last three years is looking for uh, partners to utilize those food products. Um, Our goal in 2016 was to send zero percentage of that food product to landfill. Um, It included sort of a narrative change around what, how we consider that food in the past, or maybe as part of the American culture, we're happy to call food waste, um, Uh, And I think we we do that as a way to justify uh, getting rid of perfectly edible food. Uh, But in reality, what makes a carrot peel waste? And so we started looking at ways to get chefs to use these products. Um, We partnered with a number of celebrity chefs to become inventive and figure out things to do with the food. Um, But in November of 2016, we figured out a way to place 100% of this food either with chefs to use it to feed human beings or to partner with farms to take it to feed their animals, and so again, by November of two thousand sixteen, we sent zero percentage of food from fresh production to landfill.
0: That's so cool, and I think most people would call these food products that you're describing scraps, but you have a different word for it.
1: Right. So we we um, actually there's a chef out there, Helen Park. She is with uh, Fresh Direct, and she and I had a I had met her along the way, and I was sort of struggling with this narrative around uh, how we would refer to this product. And she said, "It's what do you call it? And I'm like, I don't know, we call it scraps or trim or byproduct, and I don't like any of that. She's like, call it Sparks. I'm like, I don't know why I love that, but I love that. And she said, it is uh scrap spell backwards with a C and it just stuck. And, we, um, and we've referred to this food product as Sparks. And, and I think the narrative change is important because the second you stop calling this food product waste, you're on your road to a successful uh, uh, strategy in managing the way you, you know, this food product. And, um, you know, quite frankly, it's allowed us to think about solutions that maybe always existed, but we just didn't choose to take advantage of them. And chefs are excited about coming up with these solutions. They like when they, you know, take a carrot peel and figure out a way to use it uh, and as a way to reduce waste, but also, as a way to utilize an asset that's in that we already have in our control to use, right? So if we use that food product to create another, then not only are we creating an edible food product, but we don't have a product we have to worry about handling for landfill. So think about that. You're not only utilizing your assets more effectively, but you're reducing the amount of food and weight that you're sending to landfill, which really has to be part of the equation. That, that's, the, that's really where the value is.
0: Yeah, in and my so... I have, I have a bunch of questions. The first one is, what is the you talked about celebrity chefs and, and chefs using these products? What are some interesting uses that you've seen for carrot tops and celery butts?
1: Well, if we go back to our you know, the, the original chef team that we were working with uh, who really got us off and running in this, in this area was Dan Barber and Adam Kaye from Blue Hill at Stone Bar. Adam Kay had uh, visited Baldor and saw all of this food product, all these sparks being generated, and he said, that looks like a dumpster dive salad. And um, in fact, dumpster dive salad became the name of the salad that wasted the pop-up restaurant in lower Manhattan used to refer to this product. um, And people went wild for it. And that really started a revolution in terms of the way people started thinking about, hey, you know, I, I generate all this extra food at home. What can I do with it? And started becoming much more inventive about what they would do. Uh, sometimes the sparks just become the ingredient that you used to use as a whole carrot. In, in the example of a carrot, if you're making a carrot cake, why wouldn't you machinate the carrot peel as opposed to a whole carrot? I mean, you're, at the end of the day, utilizing the same product, but, you know, you, you're you've just found a way to fully utilize that. Yeah, so go ahead and make your carrot stick if, if that's what you need for some other dish. But now you have this carrot peel, which makes a perfectly good carrot cake. Or in the case of Haven's Kitchen in Manhattan, they take the carrot uh, peel and they add it to a cookie, um, which they sell to this day. And it's absolutely delicious. And it's their carrot peel cookie. Um, it just makes sense for us to look at food and, and before we start processing it or even cooking it at home or in our restaurants, say, like, how do I fully utilize this food product? So if, I, so if I'm talking to a chef in Manhattan and I see that they have a, a water, infused water in the lobby, and I see they're using whole fruit in there, I'll, su- I'll suggest to the chef, hey, you know, after you're done zesting and then squeezing that lime, why don't you put the lime in that water instead of a whole lime, instead of a sliced lime, you know, um, all of a sudden you're getting one more use out of that food product which will reduce waste of course but will also um, help you glean value out of the assets under your control and i really think that's what it, what it comes down to
0: this is we sort of skipped the part about how big a problem food waste is in the united states like can you paint a picture of like what food waste looks like for for our listeners
1: well so so um the listeners may have heard the numbers around 40 percent of all food grown in the united states is wasted Twenty five percent of our fresh water goes into producing food in the country that's never consumed. Um, But when we start thinking about the food product, you know, what is what is this food product? What is it? I mean, it's hard to imagine that we could grow. Ten pineapples and maybe four of them get thrown in the garbage. I mean, how is that happening? Well, we um, size a lot of produce. and we want produce to be a specific size. So sometimes the produce is just too large or too small. And so those, those items don't make it into the boxes that then get shipped across the country or to, to the end user. Um, so what happens to the, that product? I, I would argue that that imperfect product, that maybe that product that has a complexion issue because there was a windstorm and the sand sort of affected the outer layer of that fruit, but did nothing to the internal part. We, We need to get a a place where we understand that, you know, a blackened artichoke, you're not eating the outer layer. The the, the nature designed that to take the brunt of a changing climate. And so the inside of that vegetable or fruit may be perfectly uh, edible, but we see the outside and say, oh, I don't want that. It's not the color that I'm accustomed to it being or maybe a scarred lemon. Uh, we're, I'm not going to eat that. Meanwhile, you're looking to get to the juice. So we need to educate ourselves about, uh, you know, does does the size look too large too small matter? Can we become a little bit more flexible to encourage the farmer to glean some of these vegetables for us then to utilize? You know, if we're going to dice up a tomato, what's the difference if tomatoes, large or small? I mean, and I think farmers have been conditioned to think that it has to meet very strict criteria. And I think that's where there's an opportunity for a lot of education. Um, at Balladour, we do have some imperfect produce for sale uh, to our customers. Um, some people like to refer to it as ugly. Some people call it imperfect. Some people call it, you know, um, a product that has a complexion issue. I don't know. But whatever, whatever it is, it does take a lot of education because we have been conditioned in our country for vegetables to look a certain way. And I think that we need to think about what is the cost to get the vegetable to look that way. Um, you know, what are we doing to the soil? What are we doing to the vegetable? What are we doing to the insects good and bad around those vegetables to get them to look like that? Um, and is a little bit of imperfection a good thing because, you know, if you're eating that organic tomato that has a slight blemish, if you're really uncomfortable with the blemish, cut, cut it off, but the rest of the tomato was perfectly edible. Um, And I actually go out and source those kinds of vegetables. When I was in Nantucket this past weekend on vacation, I went to Bartlett Farm and I purposefully asked for bruised tomatoes. And the farmer was so thrilled to sell them to me because most people won't buy those. But I'm making tomato sauce. So why do I need a perfectly perfect looking tomato? And this tomato sauce was delicious.
0: I love that you're living the brand.
1: Living the brand. And I think that's a big part of it is that education around this is edible. I've chosen not to eat this in the past. But can I eat this now and educate myself around what products can be used? So to answer your question, that 40% is, much of it is left on the farm. 30% of all food grown on farms is left on the farm. A very large percent of it is lost in our, in our retail outlets. Um, but the greatest number of food products or amount of pounds of food wasted is actually in the home. It's the, fo- it's the food product we buy and for whatever reason choose not to eat. And that's where we really need to dig deep and think about solutions. You know, when we're going on vacation next week, let's eat through the refrigerator and get rid of the food, utilize the food instead of coming back from vacation and discarding the food. Um, And just making a conscious effort to reduce the amount of food we allow to go uh, to landfill.
0: As a company for Baldor, there are probably more profitable things to do than have this big focus on waste reduction. What... Why, why have a director of sustainability and why, why focus on this? Well, you know, actually,
1: it's interesting. The, um, when you take a deep dive and look at um, sustainability or regenerative agriculture, as an example, when you start thinking about all of the assets under control of the company, that includes food for Balbor. For a lot of companies, it's food. It also includes how we manage our fleet. It includes how we utilize our human resources. Um, How do we utilize our parking lot to maximize the number of spaces, to to maximize the space? There are so many assets under our management that we take for granted or don't utilize to their greatest extent. It's unacceptable to me that food is one item that we are not only careless, but we wantonly waste waste. You know, we send food to landfill and what happens to that food? We can't, we, we, we in the United States, around the world, we should never commingle food with anything we send to landfill, ever. Because essentially what happens is in the absence of oxygen on that landfill pile, that food is anaerobically digested. And in that process is releasing methane gas. That methane gas is three times more dangerous to the environment than carbon dioxide coming from your car. But people aren't aware of that. And so we throw paper and plastic and pencils and food into a mixed garbage bag that gets, then gets wrapped up in plastic. Maybe in many instances, in like an urban environment, put into another bag, and then brought downstairs and then hauled away. That food rots, and in the absence of oxygen, anaerobically digests, and this methane gas seeps through the land pile, landfill, into our environment. We need to be in a place where 100% of post-consumer food is captured and something else is done with it. Either it goes to a digestion chamber where we capture that methane gas, or it goes into a composting field. But in no instance should food ever be commingled with any waste. In fact, Alex, if you peel apart your garbage at home or at work, you'll see that most of what you're putting in that garbage pail is recyclable, reusable, or should never have been in that garbage pail in the first place. And the real challenge is to look at all those assets and say, do I really need to print that piece of paper? Why am I putting my water bottle, my plastic water bottle in the garbage? Can I get that to a recycling facility somewhere at my work? Or is it just so easy to throw it out that I will? Once we start pulling all that product out of the garbage, we start realizing, we don't need half the garbage pails we have. And most of what we're putting in there, we can recycle, get paid for, uh, repurpose. Um, and then we have all that, All that uh, we have that much less to haul. So I think this is a big part of the conversation that we need to make sure everybody's educated on.
0: I love that. I love that. And when you looked at options, how does composting fit, fit into the mix? What, what What's the deal with composting?
1: It's interesting, the EPA came up with a hierarchy that basically showed landfill as not a great option for food ever. Uh, Then um, composting as a great solution and then feeding animals and feeding humans or not creating the waste at all. I like the top of that inverted pyramid to think like, how do I not waste? Well, if I eat the whole carrot, I don't have waste. I take the carrot top, I make my pesto. I take that little nub at the top. I don't want to eat that even though you can. and I put that in my broth. I used the peeling in my carrot cake, I make my carrot sticks. So I didn't send anything to landfill, now I'm at zero. So really the goal should be that top of the inverted period is zero. I like to think that food is edible and it needs to be fed to humans or fed to animals. And I think that most of it uh, that's grown can, can, we can do that. Composting becomes um, a good solution. And I don't see composting at the bottom of the pyramid anymore, I see it sort of towards the top we can purposefully, we should be purposefully composting. That means we need to look at this post-consumer food, as I just suggested, as an asset. Meaning, in our backyards, we need to create compost bins. Because at the end of the day, I have a compost bin in the back of my, in my backyard. It is a wonderful re, uh, resource for my flowers and, and garden because it is the most beautiful soil at the end of a six-month period. And I was just this past weekend looking at it. I'm so pleased with it. It's so rich and dark and Looks so healthy. I can't wait to use it next spring um, when I do my planting. So, and this is 100% of the food that would have been generated at my house as what you could classify as waste. At my home, we commingle no food at all with any of the waste products coming out of the house. It's 100% put into this composting uh, bin. So I think that compost becomes a really important resource. The other thing we can think about is You know, we have these super sites and I think we call them super sites in New York state. Um, we have these, um, we have toxic soils around us. I mean, this is a great way to mitigate the toxicity of the soil by reintroducing organics as a way to maybe not make that soil healthy enough that you would grow plants and for consumption, but at least we can mitigate some of the toxicity in the soil by introducing these, these, this organic matter. So again, I think we need to look at it as an asset and a useful product, as opposed to something that we have to figure out how to get rid of.
0: Beyond just sustainability in the in the food system, Baldor also has a program called Baldor Cares, where you're um, you're giving back to your local community and, and and doing some other work. What what does that look like?
1: Well, it's um, our our ownership's commitment to the greater environment, um, greater community here in New York City. Uh, we are very focused on education and. Um, we financially support um, Edible Schoolyard, um, wellness in the schools, and we, we want to make sure this next generation is educated about the importance of healthy eating um, and introducing more produce into their diet. Edible Schoolyard and Wellness in School does exactly that, so it's very much in line with our mission. We also focus on um, donating food that our chefs would deem is not acceptable for uh, whatever reason to Food Bank of New York and City Harvest. So we are major donors uh, for, to both, both of those organizations. And then a few years ago, we partnered with a local organization called Pat's Outreach Ministry, which brings uh, produce to the food insecure of Hunts Point, which is where we're located in New York. Um, and every Tuesday she'll pick up um, a truckload of, of vegetables and fruit to bring to the food insecure in this community. And more particularly, those who are homebound in this community that have, would have difficulty gaining access to produce. And so Baldor Cares is a way for us to bring this incredibly wonderful asset, this food asset being produce and specialty foods, to the needy um, in our community. Um, and so we're really proud of the impact that, uh, that those contributions have.
0: That's so powerful. Have you always been uh, an advocate for sort of sustainability and, and uh, sort of the earth?
1: You know it's, it's so interesting you asked that question. I think this gets us back to my first job on the farm. Uh, that first job picking those beans really helped me understand, again, how difficult farming and how challenging it, it is to bring get food to our table um, and how much respect that, that allowed me you know, afforded me to have for the, for the farmer. It's funny, I have always been very focused on sustainability. I wasn't aware of it, um, but if you ask my wife, it's been something that I've been very focused on for a long time. Um, uh, and before I came to Ballador, I owned a company in New York City called IDC Corporation, which supplied mechanical insulation abatement uh, removal products. But on the mechanical insulation side, the number one thing you can do in your home or business is, is insulate to better utilize to maximize the use of the energy you're using. And I would tell that story over and over again. I was with that company for 12 years. So that was a big part of my messaging. Um, I didn't really label it as sustainability at the time, but it was clearly part of the messaging. And uh, now that I think about it, it's really um, a very, very important uh, part of who I am. And uh, I, For example, I try to commute at least once a week with a colleague, um, you know, little things, big things. When I arrive in a city, uh, on a business trip I, I i invariably take public transportation i just went to nantucket as i mentioned last week i refused to take a car onto the island i asked my wife and kids and their friends to dig in that came along with us and said we can take wave we can take their public transportation to get around if we're in a pinch we'll take an uber we can walk let's run bikes for the week we did it we wound up having a wonderful time and there wasn't one instance where we missed the car in fact the opposite I felt badly for all the people trying to get around in their cars on the island because really that it's not necessary. And sometimes sustainability creates opportunities for us. Um, You know, you get on the bus, you meet interesting people, you get from point A to point B easier. You don't have to worry about parking. I mean, there's so many benefits to it. We've tricked ourselves in our culture into thinking that we have to depend and utilize these assets under our control in such a way that maybe isn't the best for our environment. There could be solutions that not only save save us money, help our environment and create a better environment for all. So I think it's worth considering.
0: Yeah. And thank you for being on the show. And thank you for doing this really, really important work.
1: You're so welcome, Alex. It's been a pleasure.